welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn over with me to John chapter 4 as we continue on in our fall sermon series here going through the Gospel of John and what it means to live out our faith right where we are in, in our neighborhood and in our homes and in our workplaces and schools. And we have a wonderful story today of Jesus meeting with a Samaritan woman at the well. And so this is John chapter 4. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 3, go to 30, and then go 39 to 42 as well. It says this, When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee, and he went through Samaria. Now he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you've got nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and flocks? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I won't go thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man that you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain it all to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find Jesus talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? But leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and told everyone, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Christ? And they came out of the, their homes and made their way to him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. 
he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the whole world. What a great scripture. To begin this story, we have to first know the context. We have to know about Samaria. Samaria was a region smack dab in the middle of Israel, but it was the place that Jews avoided at all costs. You walked around Samaria. You didn't walk through it. The Samaritans were a mixed race. This date dates back to when Persia had invaded and took some Samaritan women as their wives. And so the Samaritans were now a mix between Jew and other, and so not real Jews to the people. The religious leaders would not allow them to participate in the building of the temple or in worship because Jews and Gentiles were to be separate. Jews were allowed in one place, Gentiles in another. And so where do Samaritans fit? They're both. And so they said Samaritans would be treated as Gentiles, outsiders. And so since Samaritans weren't accepted, they decided to build their own temple. This wasn't right, but we can understand why they did it. But over time, they began to worship idols in that temple. They also stopped believing in all of the scriptures and just took some of it to be true and not other parts. And pretty soon, they were left with a messy religion, which caused the Jewish people to hate them all the more. On top of that, the Samaritans gave hospitality to Greece during the war, and so were seen as traitors. And then a civil war broke out in 150 BC, and Israel defeated them. And so there's a big history here between these two. Well, in our scripture, we're told that Jesus and his disciples are in the southern part of Israel near the Jordan River, and they decided to go up to the northern part near Galilee, where there are three roads you could take to get there. The first road is along the coast, but it's kind of far out of their way. The second road is to cross the Jordan River, which they're at, and walk in pagan land over mountain and valley up to the top. The third road is going to be the straightest shot, but you got to go through Samaria. Well, people in that time always took the coast or crossed the Jordan and walked through pagan land. They would rather walk twice as far or enter pagan territory then go through Samaria. That is how much they hated Samaritans back then. They didn't associate with them, didn't want to look at them. And they even believed that if they would be considered unclean if they came in contact with a Samaritan. That is why it is such a shock in our story to the Samaritan woman when Jesus is not only there, but then also talks to her and then even asks her for a drink. Jesus was willing to share a cup with her. Jews didn't do that ever. For starters, rabbis didn't go through Samaria. Second, men didn't talk to women in public. Third, Jews would have never drank from the same cup as a Samaritan. That would have made them unclean. But Jesus does all three. Everything about Jesus is different than what she is used to, than what she expects. And what we read in, in John 4 is that Jesus has just gone out 
gone from hanging out with Nicodemus in John 3, a Pharisee and leader of the Jewish council, to now hanging out with the other end of the spectrum, John 4, a woman, a Samaritan who had been divorced five times and living with a guy who is not her husband. What is John trying to show us in these two chapters? I think John is showing us that Jesus came for everybody. I think John is showing how the grace and love of God is not just there for whom we would expect, but the whole world to all who will believe in him. And Jesus is not affirming the choices or the past of this woman, nor is he affirming the religion of the Samaritans. I mean, he even says in verse 22, the Samaritans worship what they do not know. But get this, despite her past or her present or her wrong beliefs, Jesus is still sitting at her well. God loves her and he is there and he is being kind to her and talking with her. He is not rude, but honest about her need and truth about her life. And he is offering her another way. Jesus loves her. Jesus is always the perfect balance of grace and truth. This is just like the woman caught in adultery or the Roman centurion or Zacchaeus, the tax collector or the criminal on the cross. Jesus doesn't affirm sin, but he also did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. This Samaritan woman is who he traveled heaven to earth for. That is why he is sitting at her well. That is why he walked through Samaria that day instead of doing what every other person had done and expected, walked around it. She is the reason he is there. For he has said that it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He came to seek and save the lost. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. She is why he is there for her. Because he loves her. Notice that when Jesus' disciples return from lunch, they see Jesus talking with this woman, and they say in verse 27, why are you talking with her? They're showing us the feelings in the average Jewish man in that time and their prejudice and hatred towards Samaritans. But Jesus is modeling for them the way that he would eventually ask them to follow. For in Acts 2.8, before ascending into heaven, Jesus commanded his disciples to go into all the world. And in 2.8, he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus specifically would tell them, I want you to go to Samaria too. We've been there, remember? Sometimes I think that we forget this in the church. Instead of being like Jesus, we still avoid Samaria. We don't want to go there. We don't want to talk to those people, whoever those people are for us. We don't like them. We don't like what they do. We don't like what they have done. We don't agree with what they believe. We don't want Samaria to rub off on our kids. We don't want it to rub off on us. We're just disgusted by Samaria. We draw the line in the sand. We speak about those people who believe that or do that, and we see them as the enemies of the church to be avoided and preached against instead of people to be loved. People 
who need to be taught. People who need Christ and need to be known of knowing of their forgiveness in him. People who need mercy and help just like the rest of us. Sure, they're lost, but Jesus came to seek and save the lost. For Christ came for them just as much as for us, and he sent his son to die for them and their sins as much as ours, and he sends us to Samaria to be his witnesses and to follow his example because he wants none to perish but all to come to repentance. What does this mean for us to truly follow Jesus today? Who are the Samaritans in our world, and what would it be like if we were different from what they expected or experienced from other Christians? What if we were more like Jesus to them? Rabbis didn't go to Samaria. Men didn't talk to women in public. Jews would never drink from the same glass as a Samaritan, but Jesus does all three in order to reach her. This is an important story for us. Whenever I read of the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, I can't help but think about the story of Hagar in the Old Testament. I see similarities there. Hagar was an Egyptian slave who, when Abraham and Sarah were told uh, that they couldn't or believed that they couldn't have a child, Abraham laid with Hagar in hopes of getting an heir. This was somewhat of an acceptable practice back then, but it was not God's will. But it happened nonetheless, and after Hagar gets pregnant, Sarah gets jealous and starts to mistreat her, and so Hagar, the slave, runs away with her child. But she has nowhere to go, no one to help her. She's all alone. She runs to the desert, and after a, a number of days, her child is hungry and there's no food, and she has no home. She's scared and destitute, a single mom with a baby, and no one is looking for her. But God, he is. He sees her. He never left. Psalm 121 says the Lord watches over us. God saw Hagar, this slave girl that, that no one thought much about. With a baby, no one cared about. God cared. And so he sends an angel to help her, as we read there in Genesis, uh, to provide for her and get back to where uh, he is going to take her so that he can take care of her and the child. And so right after that, Hagar gives God the name El-Rohi, which is Hebrew for the God who sees me. And I think about that story of Hagar when I read about the Samaritan woman, <clears throat> because God sees her too. Jesus tells her everything about her. He knows all about this Samaritan woman. How did he know that she had five husbands and that the current man she was with was not her husband? He knows it because he's God and he's ever watching over us. He was at that well because of her. In the same way that God sent an angel to help Hagar, he sent Jesus to help this woman. He came for people like her. I think of the scriptures in Ezekiel 34, where God tells the religious leaders at that time in the Old Testament, you haven't done your job shepherding my people. They're scattered and have gotten lost. He says, my sheep have wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They're scattered over all the earth and no one's searching or looking for them. And so God says, I myself will search for my sheep. 
As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from the darkness. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. God prophesied that he was going to do this. And here comes Jesus doing the very thing. He's on mission. So I want us to make no mistake here. Jesus is not at that well by accident. He is God. He didn't accidentally run into people. He intentionally seeks out and saves people. He knew where he was going that day. Our God entered a region where no one else bothered to go to a people that no one else cared what happened to. He went to a woman even rejected by her own, a woman with a sad and horrible past and present. He shows up because he's going to rescue her. It is believed that this woman came to the well at noon because she wasn't accepted by the other women in town who would have known her story <coughs> and judged her for it. And most women went to get water at the well at the cool of the morning or the evening. So the fact that John tells us that this woman went at the sixth hour, which was noon, meant that she went when no one else would be there. But Jesus was there. Jesus is where no one else will go to meet and save who no one else seemed to care about. This is the story, and I want us to see that. Jesus goes there, and he sits down at the well, and he sends all his disciples away to get food. Coincidence? Or does he know exactly what he's doing? He sends them all away so that he could be there alone when she arrives. Because they're going to have a chat. He knows that she's coming for water. He knows so much about her. He knows the pain in her heart and what she needs. Something she has been searching for her whole life, but hasn't found. Do you know the Bible story of the woman with the bleeding illness? Uh, this woman, uh, uh, the bleeding illness, that story is, is in the Gospels. A woman who had been sick for 12 years, had been to every doctor, nothing had worked, nothing seemed to stop the bleeding, and, and she was marked unclean and in pain. And so she comes to, to Jesus and reaches out to touch his garment, thinking, if I just touch him, I'll be, be well. And she is instantly, 12 years of nothing working, nothing in this world able to heal her deepest wound and need. Jesus heals it. Do you know the story of the man who lay crippled on his mat for 38 years? He thought the only hope of getting better was this superstitious stirring of water at these pools, these sacred pools, where the people thought there was some magic to them. So for 38 years, this man sat in that spot hoping to be well, but he never saw any magic, and yet he went there every day, still hoping. He kept trying to get better the way the world was offering, and nothing. Then after 38 years, Jesus showed up, walked straight up to him as if he knew him and where he was going, and Jesus asked this man if he was finally ready to be well, and the man said, how? And Jesus said, take my hand and stand up. And the man took his hand, the hand of Jesus, and felt strength suddenly enter his legs. And he stood for the first time in 38 years, not by magic, but by miracle. And he picked up his mat and he went home praising the Lord. Jesus was for him what a world could not be.
Or do you know the story of Legion? A man who was filled with so many demons that he would cut himself and cry out in pain every night. He lived in the tombs and no chains subdued him and all the town was afraid of him and had written him off. But underneath the violence was a man in misery and Jesus could see that. And so Jesus went where nobody else bothered to go. He crossed the Sea of Galilee and he went straight to the tombs where, G where Legion was. And at first Legion saw him and thought Jesus was there to hurt him or to lock him up like everybody else. But Jesus didn't. Jesus was not there to hurt him, but to help him. Not there to lock him up, but to free him. Because he truly saw him. He knew this man's pain and his chains. And our God wanted to rescue him from it. And with just one word, Jesus broke every chain. And that man was suddenly free. And went out spreading the news of Christ. Or do you know the story of Lazarus? He was a guy who was sick and within days it suddenly turned from bad to worse and suddenly his sisters and friends watched their brother die and in shock they lay him in a tomb. His life cut short and suddenly over just like that. And there was nothing that they could do or that he could do. I mean, he's dead. <laughs> but then Jesus. And I love that in all these stories. But then Jesus. You come to the end and there's nothing but then Jesus. Jesus shows up at just the right time when everybody else had given up. Jesus shows up and he weeps with the sisters. But then he speaks to the grave. And something happens that no one was expecting. Jesus tells them to roll away the stone and says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus walks out risen. Jesus does what no one else could do. He is God. He sees each person and he shows up. Well, what I'm trying to get us to see is that Jesus does the same thing here with the Samaritan woman. He enters a place that others would judge him for being at. And he goes to a well where no one else would go to meet a woman who no one else wanted to be with. But he did. He showed up for her. And in her pain, both past and present, he offers her what no man and no one in the world could give but him. Real love and life and spirit and knowing God and him knowing you and peace. He offers her living water. That is what is happening here. The woman with the bleeding illness needed health. The crippled man on the mat needed legs. The man named Legion needed freedom. Lazarus needed life. They all needed hope and needed God. So too this woman, Jesus, sees her and knows what she needs. You know, it's often said that the Samaritan woman was a sinner. She is divorced five times and the man she's now with is not her husband. That's what it says. She's living in sin, and I don't deny any of that. But I wonder if we're reading the story accurately. Because back in that time, women weren't allowed to divorce their husbands. Women were divorced by their husbands. And we don't know why she was divorced, 
maybe she committed adultery, but it is also very possible that she was divorced simply because she couldn't have children, and so the husband got rid of her, or maybe they got tired of her, or she didn't cook right or look right or whatever. In Matthew 19, Jesus addresses the injustices of divorce and how men treated their wives back then terribly, broke their vows for little to no reason, and left their wives all alone. He addresses this issue in Matthew 19. And so all I'm saying is that we're not told here uh, what the reasons of her divorces were. And so part of me thinks this story might not be told right. We are not told about her adultery, so it's possible that this woman had just been rejected five times, was told that she wasn't enough five times, and maybe she's now chosen to live with a man instead of being married, and that would be sin. But I'm just saying whether it was her choices that led to those divorces or the husband's rejections, we can't judge because only God knows the truth. But whether she is the victim or the sinner or both, Jesus still shows up because he loves her and because he knows what she has been through and what she is searching for. And he can see what her heart really needs is only that which he can give. Only he can satisfy like living water that never runs out. This is his love for us. You know, there's a scripture in Jeremiah 2.13 that speaks about this. Jeremiah is a prophet and God is speaking through him. And he says to, in Jeremiah 2.13, my people have committed two sins. First, they've forsaken me, the spring of living water. And second, they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot even hold water. And so in other words... God is saying, not only have they turned away from me, but they've tried to do for themselves what only I can give them. And they can't do that. They can't find what they're looking for. And this verse that comes out of a chapter where it begins with God saying, I remember the devotion of your youth and how you used to love me and follow me and things were good and you were flourishing, but now you're struggling and here's why. What God is saying in Jeremiah, Jeremiah is that God's people had started to look for love and life in all the wrong places. They started to follow other gods and the love of him. They left and they're now thirsty in the desert and they're wondering why. They're settling for drops of water from broken cisterns when the spring and the fountain of living water that never runs dry is still there for them if, he, if they would just turn to him. And in a way, this whole prophecy from Jeremiah is being played out in the story of the woman at the well. She's not only at a well where Jesus is offering her living water, there's a play on that for sure, but she has lived a great life of disappointment and hurt, been searching for something this world cannot give, not like God can anyway. For her, it may have been love that she was searching for, protection and satisfaction. For the rich young ruler, it was money and power. But the truth is that all of us, we leave the source of life and we dig our own cisterns that cannot do what only God can. There's only one who can satisfy the deepest places of our soul. It's him. That's what he's trying to say to her. Isaiah 55, 1, God says, come to me, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what's not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. 
Give ear to me and come to me that your soul may live. I'll make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. And so here's the story, you see. Jesus entered into a rejected land with a rejected people. And he found the woman most rejected. And he said, I don't reject you. If you would only just see who is talking to you, you would ask him for a drink and he would give you living water. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst because the water that I give will become in them a spring of living water <coughs> welling up to eternal life. Jesus is speaking here about his love, a relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, all who come to him and believe in him will receive that Holy Spirit to come and live inside of them. And that spirit will daily pour out into our lives everything good and everything God every day. All of his love daily that never runs out. His word and life and joy and peace and hope and happiness. It's all found in him. And every day he keeps pouring it in like a spring inside of us. The Spirit will fill us up to overflowing daily. You know, I think I've said this to you before, but as a kid, I was rejected a lot. Uh, not to over-dramatize it, but I was cut from every team I tried out for, rejected by all the girls that I liked, and often by friends. And as a kid, that is pretty tough. I think it caused me to become a people pleaser to try to get people to like me, to win their approval. And so I became the nicest guy in the world and would let others mistreat me as long as I was still included. That became the most important thing to me, to be accepted, to be included. And so this became my God to get everybody's approval. This was my broken cistern. And it only led to greater loneliness and anxiety and insecurity and anger. Because no matter how hard I tried, I still wasn't enough. In fear, you, can, you can't make, you know, you try to make everybody happy in the hope that they won't leave you. But, but this world is a confusing and tough place. But this was my broken cistern, you see. Everybody else's approval would make me enough. Well, the well that I kept going for for a drink only left me thirsty and thirstier. And it wasn't until I had to lay all of that down at the foot of the cross when I truly met Jesus in the middle of that lonely place and I truly got to know God who knew me and loved me and accepted me and came for me. And I began to find in him a love that never ran dry. One who would never leave me. And in, in him I found a joy and a peace in my heart that is so much greater than anything else that's found here. He's healed that part of me. I can still struggle at times, you know, with old demons. It's interesting that one of the, the, the reoccurring dreams that I have, it hasn't been lately, but it, it had been, is, is that I show up at church and start preaching and everybody leaves. You know, and when I was younger, it was, you know, a different, you know, scenario there. But really the same nightmare, the same fear, the same feelings and insecurities and need for approval. We all got our thing, you see. And for me, it's that I have to daily turn away from that well, that broken cistern, you know, of trying to be enough 
according to what other people think and just sit within the truth that I am enough and that I'm worthy and loved and, and cared for by a God who made me and loves me and, and his acceptance is all I need and I can go out and serve him and, and that is good and that is a peace that guides my life today. Well, in our scripture, the Samaritan woman, you see, she has her broken cistern that's been a pattern and a hurt in her life. She has all these guys, and maybe at times she was the victim, maybe at times the sinner, maybe both. But the Lord sees her heart and knows what she keeps searching for is water that will leave her thirsty instead of him who can once and for all satisfy his spirit alive in her, his love. He came all that way that day just to reach her. And that's why verse 28 is so important. It says that she leaves her water jar and runs to tell everybody else about Jesus. She leaves her water jar. And, and I want to ask you a deep question today. Where do you keep turning for that which only Jesus can give you? And will you leave your water jar today and let him be everything for you? The only affirmation you seek, the first love in your heart, the complete Lord of your life and choices, the all in all for your forgiveness and grace, the reason and purpose for your day, the true peace that passes understanding that you can't find anywhere else in this world or circumstance, the true happiness. Where is Jesus meeting you and trying to get you to see that you're looking in the wrong places? He has what you're looking for. Our story ends with a two-day revival in a Samaritan town. Jesus spends two days with them, teaching them, and all these people who had been rejected were now becoming believers and coming back into fellowship with God after all these years. His sheep had wandered all over the mountains and were scattered all over the earth, and no one had gone to search for them. But God came, and he rescued them out of the darkness. He brought back the strays. He bound up the injured and he strengthened the weak. And after all these years, they were children of God again. Beautiful story. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all Bethlehem Covenant Church's ministries and events, head to bccwaverly.org.